this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted and uh, happy to talk about something that is dear to my heart. Uh, If you have been listening to the show up until this long, you know that I, I... often have a lot of you know successful entrepreneurs uh, sometimes I have even some uh, exec- uh, executives from fortune 500 companies making waves and then uh, I also have uh, several doctors to help us to be able to reach the finish line in our health that's the goal I really want uh, everyone to reach the finish line and today is no exception uh, you know if, if, if you're in the US and you've been following uh, Colorado was the first state to uh, legalize uh, recreational marijuana, and then Washington followed. And uh, from this recent presidential election, uh, several states have gone ahead to either legalize it medicinally or recreationally. And uh, to see the change it had in my life, see the change it had in people, uh, my loved ones, uh, I'm definitely happy to really go over this issue and talk about the potential. Uh, not only <clears throat> not only as far as to our health, but uh, f- an opportunity for entrepreneurs. So today we have Carrie Roberts. Carrie is a consultant for Medicine Man Technologies uh, there in uh, Colorado. I'm very happy to talk with her about Maine's Question 1 uh, passage uh, that recently got passed in Maine. Carrie, welcome. Thanks for having me, Callan. Great. So, so you know, you're a consultant, uh, you know, for Medicine Man Technologies. Let's talk about what is Medicine Man Technologies, and let's talk about the role that you play. Sure. So, Medicine Man Technologies is a consulting firm based out of Denver, Colorado. Um, like you had mentioned, um, Colorado was the first state to pass adult use uh, marijuana laws. Um, so what we've done is Medicine Man Production Company is a large-scale um, indoor um, cannabis cultivator. So it's a 40,000-square-foot cultivation facility, and they operate both adult use and medical dispensaries. So Medicine Man Technologies is the consulting arm of Medicine Man Production Company, and we've got the ability to take all of that knowledge and know-how to help um, entrepreneurs and people in emerging markets be able to mitigate the risk of getting into a very compliant, heavy, and a very capital-intensive industry by being able to provide them, you know, with the stepping stone of, you know, all the mistakes that Medicine Man Production Company had had to make over the last almost eight years of operation. Um, so, of, of helping people um, get up and operational um, and kind of first to market uh, in their respective states. Great. How long have you been involved in the, the uh, medicinal slash recreational marijuana industry, uh, Carrie? You know, has this been like a, lo- a lifetime passion of yours? Has this been something you shifted into? Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, I actually get to come at this from a, a pretty unique perspective. 
Um, I have a law enforcement background, so I have a degree in sociology and criminal justice. So I started my career in law enforcement, um, got burnt out on that pretty quickly, and have been an entrepreneur since 2003. So um, back in 2014, that law enforcement kind of drive was still calling to me, so I went back um, through a private investigator's academy and started working as a, a private investigator in the cannabis industry, so helping businesses do um, business due diligence, and then started um, the country's first mystery shopping company, so sending in unbiased third-party observers into dispensary operations to help them evaluate both compliance as well as um, customer experience types of things, and then that kind of transitioned in. Um, I was doing some competitive intelligence, um, and that's what helped me transition into this role with uh, Medicine Man Technologies. You know, did, did, were you all, because, you know, I'm always curious to hear people's various opinions about it. You know, was you always open, uh, you know, to uh, marijuana or initially were you kind of against it? Because I know you say you was in law enforcement and, you know, definitely before it became legal in Colorado, I'm quite sure that, you know, the superiors probably had a lot of you all cracking down, especially uh, specifically with marijuana offenses. Were, were, right. were you open to it? You know, were you kind of against it? You know, if we could talk about that for a few moments. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I think that that's probably the most exciting part of it for me is that um, the way that I came into cannabis is that I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I'm 17 years sober. I can't take prescription pain medication. You know, we're seeing kind of the wrath of um the opioid epidemic as it's spreading across the country. And I think so much of that comes from, you know, initially just prescription pain medication. Um, so I was not able to take prescription pain medication um, or anti-anxiety medication. So I started looking at cannabis and that's how I started in the industry. But then with my law enforcement background, um, there's an organization called LEAP, which is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Mm. And we're a group, um, we're an international nonprofit organization made up of current and former criminal justice professionals who have fought on the front lines of the war on drugs and have seen what a failed policy it is and see what happens when you take an illicit um, market and you bring it into a regulated, legalized framework. Um, and what it does, you know, I'm, I lost my sister, my stepsister to, um, to cancer, so I see the medicinal benefits of cannabis, I've seen her use it, you know, I saw her use it through chemotherapy yes. and instances of life. But for me, I really get to see the social justice implications that cannabis legalization brings. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the number of arrests have, you know, marijuana arrests have plummeted. Um, and, you know, the, the tax savings that it brings to those jurisdictions that have legalized and it prevents the criminalization of thousands of people. So thousands of people whose lives aren't ruined with with marijuana arrests. Um, so there's a cool part of it for me where I, I get to talk about the medicinal benefits, but also the way that it affects people in society. For sure. We'll definitely talk about that more. You know, I really, really uh, eats away at my heart to see a lot of people getting arrested for victimless crimes. And oftentimes, you know, personally, it could just be, you know, smoking marijuana for whatever reason they want. And, uh, you know, still in many states, it's still an offense that will often get people uh, thrown in jail. And it's just uh, really, uh, it's definitely something that eats away at my heart. Uh, 
we just we just got over the elections, and um, you know a lot of people were really into that. But what a lot of people don't know is there's been a lot of uh, ballot initiatives that was up for proposal, and uh, you know you know specifically to marijuana, uh, several states actually passed ballot initiatives to actually uh, legalize uh, recreation marijuana. And uh, I definitely want to talk to you. Uh, about Maine, because that's uh, you've been working up there uh, with some folks up there. So let's talk about question one passage of Maine and what it means for the state. Sure. Um, so question one um, is in a little bit of, of limbo right now. So it was a really um, narrow margin that it was passed. So opponents to the measure um, have requested an official recount of the results. So and they have gone out, they've collected the necessary number of signatures um, and got that to the Secretary of State's office. And now they're in a position um, where they're going to have to do a recount of that vote. And oh. Unfortunately, it's, uh, it's the recount, it could take up to a month for that recount to happen, and it's going to cost the state about a half a million dollars. So it's really unfortunate that part, um, but hopeful that we will see the passage of it, because with the passage of that, what it means for the state of Maine is that, you know, when we saw the passage of adult use cannabis, um, and we like to refer to it as adult use cannabis as opposed to recreational cannabis, um, you know, like in the alcohol industry, we would never call beer, you know, recreational drinking. It's an adult use. That's true. You know, initiative. So we're trying to change some of the nomenclature around it. A lot of times marijuana comes with its own stigma. That word does. So we like to refer to it as cannabis. Right. Um, and like to refer to as, as adult use initiative as opposed to a recreational initiative. But right. uh, anyways, what it does for the state of Maine is that there, you know, it it creates a lot of new jobs and there's a creation of new economic activity that comes with it. So Colorado just came out with a study that showed that, you know, while the state generated $996 in total revenue and $135 million in taxes and fees, when they looked at the ancillary benefit of it, it created $2.4 billion, you know, worth of economic activity in the state, and it created over 18,000 new full-time jobs. Uh, Carrie, if people want to uh, f- uh, follow follow you or get in contact with you, what you're doing with uh, Medicine Man, uh, how can they do that? Sure. Um, I can be emailed at Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, at medicinemantechnologies.com or can be reached at our office line which is 303-371-0387 great and are you on social um i am so we're medicine man tech um on twitter and we've got a facebook page at medicine man technologies um so can reach out that way as well great carrie thank you for being our guest Thanks for having me, Callan. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. I am delighted to have Rob Hunt. Rob is the president 
of Teen Wit Life Sciences. Uh, it's a Florida-based cannabinoid uh, biosynthesis company. Uh, that's, that's quite a mouthful. Uh, definitely happy to uh, have him on because for people who have not been following, uh, you know, after the presidential election, uh, several states have legalized recreational or medicinal uh, marijuana. And I'm very, very interested to talk about this because a lot of times, you know, this topic often, it, while it's being more accepted now, it still gets demonized about a lot of people. But unfortunately, it's, it's just they're not educated about this uh, subject matter. So happy to have Rob here. Rob, welcome. Hi, thank you. Great. You know, well, first of all, Rob, uh, you can tell people, you know, how did you get started and uh, it's such an interesting growing industry right now. Sure. Well, for me, it's uh, it's been quite a while. My initial foray into the industry was uh, during law school when I did an independent study back in 2006 on the disparity between state and federal law as it pertained to medicinal cannabis. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a, a semester-long independent study where I looked at every piece of legislation at the time in 11 different states that had medicinal cannabis laws on the books and really got a sense of where legislation was heading, what had been happening on the federal level uh, with major pieces of, of uh, litigation, and then started looking at the state-by-state state markets and what was going to happen and where the, the effort was being pushed by advocates. So that was really where I started, and I moved to Colorado in 2007, right when the proverbial green rush started hitting, and started as an attorney um, working with different groups that are looking to enter the industry, and then ultimately ending up uh, owning a string of hydroponics gardening supply stores that stretched across four different states that um, I owned for about five or six years. So I had a tremendous amount of exposure to people in the market um, for for a real period of time there. And then it's migrated from there into um, the private equity side and then ultimately into the biopharmaceutical side. Interesting. Now, you're the president of a Florida-based cannabinoid biosynthesis company. Now, that's a mouthful. You know, for the layperson, perhaps you can explain exactly what you do in your company. Sure, I'd love to. So there's a a bright-line distinction between sort of the therapeutic side of this industry, which is what you'd find in the state legal cannabinoid markets, you know, such as... uh, uh, such as what you'd find in Florida or Massachusetts or Colorado or California, where those state, state legal medicinal cannabis markets are, are based in you know, going into dispensaries. Uh, the side of the market that I'm on is, is truly the pharmaceutical side, where you have to go through the FDA and the DEA pathway to bring drugs to market. What we do is we look at the active ingredients that are found within the cannabis plant, which are called cannabinoids, and we produce those cannabinoids using biology. So essentially we take uh, building blocks and rather than using mixing different chemicals, we'll take live living cultures such as yeast strains, inoculate those yeast strains with portions of the genetic code from the cannabis plant to grow specific cannabinoids, whether it's CBD or CBN or CBC. And we use those to be part of the active pharmaceutical ingredients market. So let's say you're a major drug company like a Merck, a Pfizer, or a Novartis and you want to bring a drug to market that's cannabinoid-based, mm-hmm. you have to buy your inputs from somewhere. And we realized that they most likely were not going to buy their inputs from large cultivators. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make sure that they could get pharmaceutically pure cannabinoids, and the best way to do that is through a, a biotech or a biopharmaceutical firm such as ours. Great. You know, CBD, CBN, these different types that you, you, you just spoke of, is that what results into different strains of uh, marijuana? 
Uh, no, the, uh, no? The, the cannabis plant control or the cannabis plant has 111 different identified cannabinoids, which are basically just the active chemical compounds within the plant. I see. The best known, the best known of those is THC, which is the cannabinoid that people know that gets them high. Yeah. Uh, but but then there's others like CBD is the cannabinoid that's best known for uh, treating spasticity. So if we, people with MS or people with epilepsy, the CBD is being found to be very efficacious and helpful towards those indications. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the other lesser-known cannabinoids, uh, you know, such as THCV, which is uh, it's the Varin series, mm-hmm. that's known for uh, for appetite suppression. So people are looking at it as a dietary supplement. Uh, wow. CBC is being looked at as a, an anti-inflammatory. So many of the different cannabinoids are showing properties that are helpful. But essentially, every cannabis plant contains a certain amount of of each of these. It's just a question of in, in what levels. And the reason that THC and CBD have been studied most closely over the last you know, 20 or so years is because those are the only two cannabinoids that express themselves in large enough quantities within the plant to be able to extract them out in meaningful quantities. So for us, because we do it through biosynthesis and synthetic biology, we can produce any cannabinoid, even the ones that only occur in such trace elements that they're not extractable from the plant. We can produce them in kilogram quantities in a laboratory which is uh, allowing for, for forward-thinking drug development, clinical trials, double-blind placebo studies, everything else you'd expect to see with studying a specific molecule. And essentially, that, that's all these are, are, are molecules. For sure. And it's just what those molecules do you know, to help people out. So when you ask you know, the different strains, it doesn't matter what strain of cannabis you have, there can be 100 different strains. Each of those strains has a different uh, genetic code, uh-huh. and that genetic code will produce different ratios of cannabinoids in them. So, strain you know called Blue Dream might be very high in THC and low in in, uh, in CBD, whereas Charlotte's Web might be very high in CBD and low in THC. Mm-hmm. So, people breed for different um, for for different uh, qualities. For us, we're not we're not concerned about that. All we're concerned about is can we produce all of them, and then can we make our own formulations after that. I, I love it. I, I, I definitely uh, definitely uh, like how you broke down in different cannabinoids. It just really just shows that the really uh, the potential uh, that marijuana can have if we if it, if it was definitely legalized all across uh, throughout the whole country. Let's talk about uh, you know you stated uh, the initiative for adult use cannab- cannabis in Mass Massachusetts uh, is is going to be a strong indicator of or, or is a strong indicator of what the trajectory will be R for New England. Now, do you just say that because that's the biggest state in New England or or, or, or are there some other things behind besides it being the biggest state in, the, in that region? Yeah, being the biggest state, obviously, is a um, is a real harbinger of what happens in the rest of the, uh, the, the region. Uh-huh. So you look at what happens you know, generally in politics in New England and as goes Massachusetts, so goes the rest of the area. Now, having said that, New York obviously is a, a strong anchor towards the Northeast as well, and New York and New Jersey have a, a major impact on what happens in those in those states as well. But if you look at New England in general, I mean, if you even look at the Northeast, from Washington, D.C., all the way north, if you follow the coast, every one of those states has uh, medicinal cannabis laws in the books, including large populous states such as Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts. So the reason that New England is important right now is you have – two states being Maine and Massachusetts that just legalized adult use uh, and you have two others that were looking at legalizing it through the state house rather than through the ballot box in Vermont and Rhode Island and very likely Vermont and Rhode Island you'll see a major change to uh, to their policies and the reason Massachusetts is so important is because if you look at New England in general and just what their politics are they're 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 tax heavy states you know they're very um, very liberal states and as a result there's a, a large tax base that's coming out of that 
And I can tell you that there's no way that you're going to, you know, be in uh, the governor of Rhode Island or the governor of Connecticut and look at all this tax revenue that's being derived in Massachusetts without saying, I want a piece of that as well. So when you see legalization happen in the, in the largest state, uh, it's really hard to ignore if you're the neighboring states. For sure. And final question, Rob, how do you see this as a business opportunity in mass? Because you definitely said that, you know, they're a bit more uh, picky. They're a bit more selective. They have, they, you know, they're going to, they, you know, they're, they, they're going to be a bit more uh, stringent in their uh, requirements. Do you, do you see this in a long term still a good business opportunity for people who want to become entrepreneurs in a cannabis industry within that state? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's. When you say the cannabis industry, it's not just the ones that have the, uh, the, the licenses that are granted by the state. There's lots of ancillary businesses as well. But the answer is, is absolutely. In fact, uh, I spent the, the greater part of my Thanksgiving weekend, as boring as it sounds, running numbers on the Massachusetts uh, opportunity for, for a client. And I can tell you that you know what I was able to come up with was that if you look at what MassGov is putting out as their monthly uh, reporting. You know, last month or October of 2016, there was only seven dispensaries open, and they did roughly, if you called it $15 a gram as an average, they did $6.6 million in sales. Wow. That's in a month. That's an average of almost a million dollars per store if you do a cost average across, you know, the all seven of them. Obviously, some are going to be better than others. And there's a finite number of, of licenses. So anyone that has a license right now, so long as they've got a halfway decent sense of how to run a business, they should have a, a really bright future ahead of them. Wow. Wow. See, so you heard it. You know, definitely a big opportunity uh, in mass still. I'm just so fascinated with the numbers that you just uh, just uh, described. Uh, if people, as we come to a close, Rob, if people want to uh, follow you or get in contact with you, how would they do that? Yeah, uh, there's a couple different ways. You know, I've got a blog that I blog on a lot on Facebook called Cannabis.org. Okay. So I'm on there sometimes that discusses politics, law, medicine. It doesn't. It's not a stoner blog. It's really if you're if you want heady information about the industry, that's what we blog on. Uh, so that's one way. Uh, you can always contact me via you know looking at our website, which is TLS Corp, which is Tom Larry Sam Corp dot com. Uh, and then you know the other way is just uh, I speak frequently at, at um, cannabis based conventions and events, and you know track me down there and say hello. But I'd, I'd love to say uh, hi to any of your viewers or listeners. For sure. Hey Rob, thanks for being our guest. Yeah, my pleasure, Kalen. Thanks for having me. Want the full episode? You can get it when you become a Prim20 Premium Radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription today. Get one hour commercial free episodes, private mastermind calls with our guests, and much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription. For just another way to help you start reaching your finish line. And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Steve Gormley. Steve is the managing partner of a California-based Seventh Point. Uh, and we're definitely going to talk about that. We had two other guests on and talking about what does uh, recreational marijuana, what does it mean uh, for uh, you know, what does it mean for entrepreneurs nowadays? You know, how can entrepreneurs uh, enter this market? And you know, you know, it's a topic that a lot of people are passionate about. And I'm definitely happy to have Steve to cover the California side of it. Steve, welcome. Callan, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, great, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, let's go back in time, Steve. You know, how did you get introduced uh, to um, 
you know, marijuana and, um, you know, w w was you against it, uh, you know, you know, when you was younger, uh, you know, let's talk about that a little bit and then we can uh, definitely lead up into your business and, and the proposition. Well, aside from the extensive personal research I did when I was in college, mm -hmm. I had no formidable professional or political opinion on the subject. And I, that's when I got involved and really began to see the scope uh, and depth of the industry itself. And initially, I was very attracted because I think that legal marijuana provides an opportunity to create generational wealth for entrepreneurs who know how to get into the business uh, wisely, legally, uh, and professionally. But during the course of my experience working in the industry and meeting scores of professionals uh, in the dispensary and retail space and the cultivation space and elsewhere, I've definitely become an activist and advocate. Now, California has been known uh, you know, to have medicinal marijuana for quite some time. There's actually 20 states uh, that have uh, medicinal marijuana, including California. And now, uh, this, you know, California has really uh, took a step further uh, to actually uh, fully legalize it, uh, recreational cannabis throughout the state of California. You know, as a, as a business owner, you know, in California that, that, works, in this, that works in this market, where do you, what do you think this proposition means for the state? Well, I think it means a couple of things. It means that the value of legal medical marijuana licenses, licenses to both operate dispensaries and cultivate, will now explode in value because we at Seventh Point firmly believe that it will be those license holders who are compliant and in good standing that will receive privilege when recreational licenses are handed out. Now, we don't believe that there'll be a recreational market anytime soon. I think it'll take two to three years at minimum. Because firstly, as you pointed out, um, California has been a medical marijuana state for over 20, for close to 20 years now. Mm. Um, and that law, the 1996 Compassionate Care Act, was flawed. Mm -hmm. And so there's a new state law called the Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act, otherwise known as MAMERSA, which was signed into law by Governor Brown last October 2015. It won't go into effect until the first quarter of 2018. And that law will lay the foundation for how recreational businesses will be licensed, um, regulated, and taxed. So I, I do, however, think that the immediate effect will be seen at the law enforcement level with regard to the criminal prosecution of minor marijuana offenses. So I think you'll see fewer arrests for possession I think that you'll see uh, fewer court cases coming, um, yeah, fewer court cases, and I think many court cases will be dropped. But in terms of 
consumers being able to go and buy marijuana recreationally in California, I still think that's a few years out. For sure, indeed. And uh, just, you know, just to speak to what you just said about there definitely be a lot of arrests and less people in prison. And that's definitely, you know, what we need. You know, you know, if a person consumes marijuana, uh, there is no victim involved. You know, the person, the person is making their own choice of, of, of smoking or consuming or vaping or whatever they're doing. And it is a personal choice of theirs. You know, I recently looked at uh, the, 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 the federal prison statistics yesterday and found that 76% of minorities are in prison for marijuana. And, uh, and, 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 and it's unbelievable uh, because, uh, I mean, some people, they do it for medicinal reasons. And then other people, they do it just to have, you know, it's a good time, helps them relax, whatever, for, for whatever reason. But uh, it definitely uh, creates opportunity for any state to save money, uh, you know, f- for, for paying for, for paying for, uh, unnecess- for, for paying for housing unnecessary prisoners. You know, these, these, these can definitely be people that could be on the street, uh, productive citizens. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, and oftentimes these people that get in prison for marijuana, they never had no prior records, you know, and, I'll, and, I'll, take and it a, I'll take it a step further, Callan. I actually believe that, the country's approach to the war on marijuana is decidedly racist. Mm. And I view it as an extension of the Jim Crow laws. Indeed. As a Caucasian, you know, American of European descent, I can tell you with a certain degree of confidence that if my 16-year-old son were caught locally with a joint, he'd be taken to my front doorstep I'd shout at him in front of the cop that I probably know, and I might add another 50 to to $100 to the policeman's ball that year, and that would be the end of it. That yeah. same boy, if he's African-American or Hispanic and lives you know, on 136th and St. Nick in Manhattan, mm-hmm. will end up starting a long career in front of the bench. As we come to a close, Steve, if people want to uh, get in contact with you or follow you, uh, how do you do that? They should visit our website, seventhpointllc.com. That's the number seven, T-H-P-O-I-N-T-L-L-C.com. Um, visit us there and fill out an inquiry form uh, and reach out. Great. Steve, thank you for being our guest. Callan, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs best-selling author and career strategist at seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.